0: Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now going to cover in this audio, Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 21, which describes the sixth trumpet. Remember, there's seven seals representing the New Covenant, a testament, a will, seal, all the seals are broken by the Lamb. The seventh seal is consists of seven trumpets, and the seals and the trumpets are all about judgment, namely on the land of Israel, because they killed Jesus. And we have gone through... In Revelation 8, the whole chapter, we've gone through the first four trumpets. In the first 12 verses of Revelation 9, we've done the fifth trumpet. The fifth trumpet, you remember, the devil was given a key to the abyss, let out a bunch of smoke, which was the demons. And out of the smoke came locusts. Well, I guess the locusts were the demons coming out of the smoke. And the locusts then judged the land. So now we go to Revelation 9, starting with verse 13. We read this. Then the sixth angel sounded. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. That golden altar, of course, is referring to the golden altar of incense in the Old Testament tabernacle and in the Old Testament temple. It had four horns. All altars had horns on them. And there was a voice that came from there. Now, why is this whole golden altar mentioned before the six angels sounded? Well, the golden altar was an incense altar. And the priest had to put incense on that altar. And the incense would go up into heaven. That symbolized God's prayer, uh, people, the people's prayers to God. And so it's mentioned again here in verse 13 to remind God's people that God's actions on earth are preceded by prayers from the saints. In other words, it works like this. Prayers go up, fire and blood come down. In fact, we see this already working because the seven trumpet judgments themselves before trumpet number one. Those trumpet judgments were preceded by first incident prayers incense or prayers on the golden altar going up to heaven and then an angel throwing blood and fire on the land going down. We see that in Revelation 8 verses 3 through 6. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. That's the golden altar of incense. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. The throne of course is in is, is described in the earlier chapters of Revelation and in the New Testament tabernacle, the golden altar was in front of the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the Holy of Holies, where the Shekinah glory dwelt, where God dwelt. So this is, it carries forward with the same basic structure here, going from the Old Testament tabernacle slash temple all the way up into heaven. There's a golden altar. It's in front of the the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, went up in the presence of God from the angels' hands. So there we have prayers going up. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So there's the judgment going down. And all of this was before, in verse 6, Revelation 8, before the seven trumpets sounded. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. So this is just a reminder that judgment's coming down. Prayers going up. Revelation 9, 13. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. Prayers going up. Judgment coming down. Revelation 9.14. And this is a voice saying, one or a voice, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. I'm assuming the voice is from God. Four angels. The four emphasizes the four corners of the land that are going to get hit by judgment. These four angels are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, Euphrates... The Euphrates River, if you're going to understand the Bible, you need to have a picture of the Euphrates River in your mind, where it goes, when it bends to the west, and how it eventually is running east to west at the northern extremity of Israel, or even beyond the northern extremity of Israel. So the Euphrates was the northern border of Israel, and that's where all of Israel's enemies came to invade and destroy Israel. Why? All except Egypt. Egypt came from the south. But on the west of Israel, you have the Mediterranean Sea. People are not going to invade Israel from the Mediterranean Sea. On the east, past the Jordan River, you have the Arabian Desert that runs all the way to Babylonia. People are not going to cross that horrible desert. They've got to go up into the hill country there, northern Mesopotamia, Syria, present-day Turkey around there, northern Iraq. And then they move west and they go through Syria, modern day syria and then they cross the euphrates river and they go south then down into israel so judgment comes from the euphrates rivers and we see this this destruction and judgment coming from the north in many many scriptures i'm going to see if i can read them to you Jeremiah 6, 1, O you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem, blow the trumpet into Koa, and set up a sign of fire in Bethacarim, for evil appears out of the north in great destruction. Jeremiah 6, Behold, a people coming from the north country. Jeremiah 10, 22, Behold, the noise is come, and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of dragons. Dragons? I think that's King James for snakes. Jeremiah thirteen twenty. lift up your eyes, and behold them that come from the north. Jeremiah 25, 9, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, will bring them against the land, and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, and in hissing, and perpetual desolations. So there's judgment coming from the north, and the judgment particularly was Babylon. Here's some other scriptures. Jeremiah 1.15 Indeed, I'm about to summon all the clans and kingdoms of the north. They will come. Each king will set up his throne at the entrance to Jerusalem's gates. They will attack all our surrounding walls and all the other cities of Judah. Where? From the north. Kingdoms of the north. Jeremiah 25.26 All the kings of the north, both near and far. Jeremiah 46.20 Egypt is a beautiful young cow, but a horsefly from the north is coming against her. Well, that's Egypt getting judged instead of Israel. But again... If any Mesopotamian power is going to come after Egypt, how are they going to get there? Well, they can go through the Sinai Desert. Ooh. It's kind of easier to go across the Euphrates, go to the coast, go down the road there on the coast of Israel, and go on down to Egypt. From the north. Jeremiah 47, 2. This is what the Lord says. Look, water is rising from the north and becoming an overflowing water. It will overflow the land and everything in it. Ezekiel 26, 7. For this is what the Lord God says: See, I'm about to bring King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. King of kings against Tyre from the north. Again, the geography explains all this reference to north. Ezekiel 38.6. Gomer with all his troops and Beth-Togarmar from the remotest parts of the north, along with all his troops. They're coming to judge. Ezekiel 39.2. I will turn you around and drive you on and lead you up from the remotest parts of the north. I will bring you against the mountains of Israel. Let's talk about the judgment. Babylonians coming on Israel. Okay, so there's your. That's why the judgment is said to come from the river, river Euphrates, because that's where everybody invaded Jerusalem from. So Euphrates River is a symbol of destruction coming on Israel during the Jewish war. Now David Chilton said all this is symbolic, symbolic of army of demons invading apostate Israel. Well, we did that in the fifth trumpet. Let's leave out the symbolism here. Let's just take it literally, because. The Euphrates River is where the Roman government put all of their garrisons, logical places scattered along, like and places like that all along the Euphrates River. And we know from Josephus that when the Roman army first invaded Israel at the beginning of the Jewish war, that's exactly where they came from. They came from garrisons along the Euphrates River. Now, this first general that started it was a guy named Cestius Gallus. He invaded Palestine in the fall of 66 in reaction to a Jewish rebellion, which was provoked by Cestius Florus. We talked about him. He was the guy in 66, from May to August in 66, who he killed 36. How many people did he kill? I think it was 36,000 people he killed. He refused to hear a Jewish litigant who was, whose synagogue was profaned by the sacrifice of a bird in front of it in Caesarea. And that got people mad. And then he, st- he stole money from the temple treasury. And he basically provoked the war. Well, the Jews rebelled against Florus. And Cestius Gallus, the soldier in charge, invaded from the Euphrates River. Now, you can read about all this in in Josephus. How Cestius sent large numbers of mounted troops from the region of the Euphrates. Notice that, mounted troops, cavalry in other words, on horses, just like in this sixth seal, they came on horses. Revelation 9.15, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. Now the hour, the day, and the month, and the year, that shows that these four angels who were restraining the judgment on Israel when when their restraint ended is utterly predetermined by the God of history. He decides what's going to happen down here. I take comfort in that as I think about this next election in America for the first time in our lives. We are about to be taken over by a bunch of left-wing lunatics who hate Christianity as one particular party whose profane name I will not mention has been taken over by these thugs, and they uh, are going to try to do a number on yours truly and all who think like me. But I think, wait a minute, who controls history? Who controls the ballot box? God does. Well, he had decided that it was time before one generation passed away, one stone was not going to remain on top of another, as Jesus predicted. And so he says, okay, now's the time, the hour, the day, the month, and the year. Now's the time to turn the Romans loose on Israel and to start that war. Now we have a translation problem I need to mention. I gave you the King James Version. I've been using the New American Standard in Revelation, but I'm gonna I use the King James here because New American Standard says that these four angels came down to slay a third the third part of mankind. Well that sounds like the whole earth, doesn't it? And that fits right into the futurist presumptions that the book of Revelation is talking about a worldwide conflagration at the end of time. No, it's not. It's talking about the conflagration on the land, not on the earth. As I've said over and over, well, mankind doesn't sound like a third of Israel. It sounds like a third of everybody on the planet. Well, the Greek word is anthropoi. The New American Standard Bible, which translates the word as mankind, provides the Greek word in the margin to tell us. The Greek word here is anthropoi. Well, they don't tell us what Greek words are usually. I suspect it's they felt guilty about the way they translated Anthropoi, because it's not a good translation. But at least they put it in the margin so we could figure it out ourselves. Now here's a sample of some English versions who more literally translate Anthropoi as men. The King James, God bless King Jimmy, the American Standard Version, the Third Millennium Version, and the Catholic douay Rant Version. Now, but translating it men, that satisfies an Orthodox Preterist interpretation completely. You got fourth, the four destroying angels destroying one third of men in the land of Israel. But unfortunately, like most translations, most versions are futurist and translated as mankind. The New American Standard Bible, the NIV, the ESV, the New King James the Revised Standard Version, the, the Holman Christian Study Bible translates it as the human race. So everybody, mankind, the Good News Bible translates it as human race. The Living Bible says all the people on earth, not all the people on the land now, but all the people on earth. The New Revised Standard Version, the one that's gender neutral, pronounces it humankind. Stupid word. I'm afraid of the word mankind. I think it's because they hate men, which it seems like everybody does these days. Oh, patriarchy. Get rid of the patriarchy. How a terrible thing. I just saw the other day that there was one of these radical leftist protest movements contributing to the riots in America who says they were against white supremacy, Christian supremacy, and capitalist supremacy, or something to that effect. And male, I'm left out, male supremacy. Can't have that now, can we? Oh, no, because men are evil, toxic. Well... I've said a lot of bad things about the King James Version because it's not the best translation in my humble opinion, but every now and then they get it right, and I think they got it right here for sure. Let's take a, little, a closer look at that word anthropos. The plural is anthropoi. I looked on Vines Greek Dictionary under man. This is in volume 3 of page 32 of my particular version of Vines. Vines gives about a page and a half of definitions that have nothing to do with mankind, despite the way that NASB translates it, nothing to do with mankind, then under note three, they say, quote, in Revelation 9:20, the revised version translates the genitive plural of anthropos with the article, anthropos with the article, hoi anthropoi with the article, mankind. The authorized version, that's the King James, the early one, King James, translates it as the men, as I just said. It might have been rendered the rest of men, Well, whether it's men or the rest of men is not my point here. The point is, as Vine says, it could be rendered men, which would suit the Orthodox Preterist purposes nicely. I looked in the New American Standard Bible, which translates it as mankind. Only five times in the NASB do we see the word translated as mankind. That's five out of 544 times that anthropoi is used. Three of those translations of mankind are in Revelation 9. We're right now in Revelation 9.15. Well, let's go back to Revelation 9.6 and see how the New American Standard translated that. And in those days shall men seek death. They didn't translate it, mankind seek death. They translated it as men that seek death. Well, if the New American Standard Translation translates Revelation 9.6, hoi, anthropoi, as men, why don't they drop down to Revelation 9.15, where we are, and translate Revelation 9.15 as men instead of mankind? So the four angels would then slay the third part of men, not mankind, the third part of men who are on the land. Now they only translated hoi five times as mankind out of 544, but when they translated as man, mans, or men's, 242 times out of 544. Well, that's a huge discrepancy, and it seems to me that we have a little special pleading here on how they translate that word. I don't appreciate that. It's an orthodox purist. I just thought I'd let you know. Revelation 9:16. We continue. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them from the voice probably God. Two hundred million, that, of course, is the number of the horsemen who were let loose by the four angels. Now, this number, two hundred million, is a famous number quoted all the time by prophecy nuts. The literal Greek is not two hundred million. It's myriad of myriads, which is an indeterminate number, a big number, but indeterminate. Here's what Robert H. Mounts and his commentary on the book of Revelation, page 201, says, quote, Attempts to reduce this expression to arithmetic miss the point. A double myriad of myriads is an indefinite number of incalculable immensity. It's indefinite, folks. It's not two hundred million. For example, the same phrases in Psalm sixty eight seventeen, the chariots of God are double myriads, myriad myriad, a double myriad, or double myriads, thousands of thousands. Now I looked at several, in fact, I looked at about 15 English translations. Most of them say 200 million. Some of them, like the old King James, have numbers I never heard of. Let me give you what the old old King James says. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000. Instead of 200 million, it's 200,000,000. The new King James cleans that up to 200 million. They all miss the point, as Robert Mount says. It just means an indefinite number of incalculable immensity, a whole bunch of, a whole heap of. It's just like the Chinese character Wan. It can mean 10,000 literally, but most of the time the way they use it all the time is just a whole heap of, we can't even count it. There were two literal translations that I found that translated it as myriad of myriads or something similar to that, myriad of myriads, double myriad, I forgot exactly. That's J.P. Green's literal or Young's literal translation. They got away from the, the numbers business. Now that means that every English translation I know has completely missed the point, as Robert H. Mount says. And how many times have you heard Prophecy Nuts talk about the 200 million man army that's going to invade Europe during the time of the Ten Nation Confederacy, and he's going to invade, I think think they attack the Antichrist, and there's going to be a big world war, and we all need to get into our nuclear bunkers, with our Bibles, of course, while we and there's no point in getting out there and spreading the word except fear and panic because, by golly, that would be polishing the rails on a sinking ship. And I remember back in the 19, late 60s and early 70s when I was a young Christian and Hal Lindsay's late great planet Earth was all over the place. And I was told there's only one nation in the world that can have an army that big, and that's China. So the 200 million man army that's coming is going to be the Red Chinese Army. I love, I never dreamed that I would one day live in China. And so when I talk to Chinese Christians, when I mention the 200 million man army, I say, well, you know, I was always told that was a Chinese army coming to get us. And they all laugh. They think it's absurd. They think it's preposterous that American Christians would think something like that. I agree with them. It is preposterous. But unfortunately, I don't get laughs when I mention it here in America. We go to verses 17, 18, and 19 of Revelation 9. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them, the, the horses are talking about the myriad of myriad of horses that are carrying soldiers coming down over the, over the Euphrates. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. Let me just stop right now and say hyacinth is a stone. It can also be a flower too. And, and the stone and the flower are both of deep purple color. So we got the breastplates of these soldiers, fire, red. Fire stands for judgment, burning, judgment. Highest is deep purple, like smoke, deep purple smoke which chokes and blinds and confuses and is the result of fire that's burning, the land that's being judged. And a brimstone, that's what gets barfed out of volcanoes. In fact, the word itself talks about what's on the brim of a volcano. Sulfur, that's yellow and it stinks. And of course, volcanoes destroy with their lava. So basically, we're looking at three colors on the breastplates, and all of those three colors stand for judgment. Red fire, which is red, hyacinth, which is deep purple, brimstone, which is yellow. The way I remember it is red, purple, and yellow. The red is fire, that judges, hyacinths is deep purple, smoke, which comes from the fire, and which chokes and confuses, and judges, and brimstone, which comes from volcanoes, which cover the land in lava, judgment. That's the soldiers. Now, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. Of course, a lion is a fierce beast that tears. Again, another good symbol of judgment. Horses, they were running fast. The <laughs> lions are getting ready to tear with their teeth. And out of the mouths, the mouths of these lions, I call them horse slash lions, out of the mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. Now, the fire and smoke and brimstone is exactly parallel with the fire and hyacinth and brimstone of the soldiers' breastplates. The fire is the same, the smoke is deep purple like the hyacinth, and the brimstone is the same too. So again, the, the point is reemphasized: Judgment coming, not only with the riders on the horses, but with the horses themselves. Verse 18, Revelation 9, a third of mankind, again that should be man, a third of men, a third of men on the land was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths, the mouths of the horses, A mouths out of the lions, I should say, the lions, which were the heads of the horses. Verse 19, for the power of the horses is in their mouths, that's because they're lions and they're shredding people up, and in their tails, for the tails are like serpents that have heads. So you got a serpent coming out of the back. Serpent's a typical symbol for the devil. So demons, and the demons and the serpents have heads, which I think symbolizes intelligence. They're coming down with a purpose to do harm to the people. So you got power both in the mouth and the lion's mouth with a red, purple, and yellow smoke coming out of the mouth. And you got power in the tails because serpents can bite you and kill you. Now let's see how, let's, let's look at some definitions here. A brimstone, I mentioned fire and brimstone. Brimstone is sulfur which is found on the rim of a volcano or on the brim of a volcano. There you go, brimstone, that's where that comes from. The fire and the smoke, the red and the purple, the red and the hyacinths, the fire and the hyacinths, those are meant to symbolize hell from whence demons come. We see in Job 41, verses 18 through 21, His sneezes flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches. This is talking about the dragon from hell, Leviathan. Out of his mouth go burning torches. There's your fire. Sparks of fire leap forth. More fire. Out of his nostrils smoke goes forth, so there's smoke, fire and smoke, as from a boiling pot in burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame goes forth from his mouth, so there's fire and smoke. The fire and smoke of Leviathan, the devil, so fire and smoke stands for hell. How about fire and brimstone? We know that stands for hell because we use that in our English language all the time. He's a fire and brimstone preacher. He's talking about you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. A little bit of preaching I wish we had some more of these days the lack of which makes me almost want to be a fighting fundy. Fire and brimstone, Revelation nineteen twenty, and the beast was taken, that's the sea beast standing for the Roman Empire. The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, that's the land beast standing for Israel, false apostate rabbinic Israel, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them, had deceived had received the mark of the beast, and then that mercy worshiped his image, all of which I'll talk about when we get to Revelation nineteen. These both, the sea beast and the land beast, were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstones. Ah, so there's fire and brimstone. So the famous lake of fire that we always hear about, hell, well, it's a lake of fire burning with brimstone. It's not just fire, it's volcanic brimstone that's been belched out all over everybody, burning them up. Fire and brimstone, hell, Revelation 21.8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable... And murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, eternal separation from God. They're in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. So fire and brimstone stand for hell. Now again, I don't know whether that's symbolic fire and brimstone, but whatever it is, it's a symbol of something terrible to be separated from God forever, being uh, being. In the company of your fellow sinners, look how bad it is to be in the company of sinners here in this life. Can you imagine being that way forever? Hell is a hellish place, folks. Now, just to finish these verses up, I've already said that the power was in the mouths because of the fire, smoke, and the brimstone. That's the powers of hell in the mouths of the horses or the lion's head, which were was part of the horse, and in the tail of the horse was like a serpent, and serpents stand for demons, so they had power too, powers of hell. So. Powers of hell in the front, powers of hell in the back. Those, soldiers, those horses were bad from head to toe, or bad from head to tail, I should put it. One little minor point, too, is I try to picture this vision in John's mind. I know what the symbolism stands for, but the, just to picture it as to how John was looking at it. If you look at a serpent coming out the back end of a horse, it said the tail had a... The, the tail was like a serpent and had a head. I, I'm assuming that the snake came out the rear like a tail of a horse, and then at the end of the snake you had a head. And, of course, I assume that was a human head. It might just be a snake's head with fangs coming out to bite people. hadn't thought about that. could could be that way. might not stand for intelligence. It just might stand for the ability to do you harm when you get bit by a poisonous snake. We go now to Revelation 9, verses 20 and 21, and we'll finish up the six trumpets. The rest of mankind, let's use the KGV translation here, men. The rest of men who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons. And the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Now the rest of the men who didn't get killed, remember it was only on one third of the land. The ones that didn't get killed, they still didn't repent. It's amazing to me how much judgment people can take. But they're so stubborn and proud they won't bend their knee before the God that created them. They're just not going to. Mankind is extraordinarily evil. And that's why we live in a walking dead planet or country. That's why I I value civilization. I value the rule of law. I value the cops. I value my 38 Rossi revolver because we live in a bad, bad, bad world. There's a lot of people, you can tell them they ought not to be doing what they're going to do, and they go out and be a pedophile or do whatever they're going to do, they won't repent. You throw them in jail for 100 years, they won't repent. You tell them you're going to execute them, they still won't repent. Some will, thank God, but not all. So even after the famine, the mass murders, the cannibalism, and the crucifixion of their fellow Jews during the Jewish war, they were crucified at 500 per day, still they didn't repent. They still insisted on... We're going to fight you, Romans. We're going to wait for our Messiah, despite the fact they'd already killed their Messiah 40 years earlier. The Jews in Jerusalem went on heeding the insane ravings of false prophets who promised deliverance but gave none. Here's what Josephus said about them. Thus were the miserable people beguiled by these charlatans and false messengers of God, while they disregarded and disbelieved the unmistakable portents that foreshadowed the coming desolation but as though thunderstruck, blind, senseless, paid no heed to the clear warnings of God. They did not repent. So as not to worship demons, they kept on worshiping demons. Now this is a good quote by David Chilton. Talk about the false Jews, apostate Judaism, worshiping demons. This is what he says. Judaism is a false cult claiming biblical authorization. It illustrates the nature of Judaism, this false cult that the rabbis and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had put up. That false cult is not Old Testament religion. That was from God. That was holy. But Judaism, the religion that sprang forth out of the Old Testament, is a satanic religion because they don't repent of worshiping demons. They set up synagogues of Satan, as John referred to these false Jews in other places. It was, two, it was at Smyrna. Where was it? I can't remember the two towns that had the synagogues of satan of the seven churches but two of them had had synagogues that were centers of apostate judaism that were persecuting the christians and john called them synagogues of satan jesus called them synagogues of satan these jews on the land that weren't killed in the jewish war they didn't repent of their murders now how many times are jews called murderers in the scriptures interesting this is something you don't see too often Acts two, fourteen and twenty three, this is Peter's Pentecostal sermon. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea, and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Him, as Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him. So Peter says, You are a crucifier. You are slayers, you killed the Son of God. Acts two thirty six. This is when Peter and John are healing people, and the Sanhedrin arrested him or tried to arrest him. I can't remember exactly where the arrest occurred, but this is what Peter's saying: "Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ." So Peter had the guts to look at Jesus's murderers and said, "You killed him. You were murderers." Acts 3:12 and 14 and 15. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead. You killed him. You're murderers. Acts 7:51 and 52, this is now Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He's talking to his Jewish accusers and murderers. Stephen says this, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the Just One, of whom you have now have been now the betrayers and murderers. The Just One, that's Jesus. You are his murderers. So as Stephen himself was being murdered, he accused his murderers of murdering Jesus. So this is a summary of who the Jews killed or tried to kill. The prophets, the Messiah, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, and Paul, who was stoned and left for dead on the first missionary journey. So the Jews didn't repent from worshiping demons. They didn't repent from being murderers. In Revelation 9, in verse 21, they also didn't repent of being, of their sorceries. That means communing with the devil. Same thing as worshipers of demons, I guess. Let's look at some scriptures that show that, Acts 13, 6-11. And when they, that's Paul and Barnabas, had gone through the island of Paphos, that's the, that's the city on the west coast of Cyprus, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus. And you know the story. His name was Bargesus, Bar-Jesus, and then his name by interpretation or by translation is Elamus. The sorcerer, he's called a sorcerer this a certain sorcerer, this false prophet, this Jew, whose name is by Jesus. So you got a Jewish guy who's communing with the devil. And then, of course, Paul made him blind, showing who was boss there, God or the devil. Revelation 18:23 and 24. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee, for thy merchants were the great men of the land, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Talking about Israel. All the nations of the world were deceived by her sorceries, and in her was found the blood of prophets and all that were slain. We've already talked about them being murderers, but here in this passage we see that they're also a land of sorcery. So they didn't repent of that. And the other thing they didn't repent of, despite all the divine judgment coming on the land, was their immorality. Now, 12 times in the book of Revelation... John uses the word immorality to refer to Israel's apostasy. So this is, well, I'm sure there was a lot of sexual immorality too, but the main idea is spiritual immorality, a spiritual apostasy, which in sexual immorality is used as a substitute for that, is a symbol of that. So I'm going to read them real quick just so you get the idea. Revelation 2.14, I have a few things against you of you some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak, Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to, to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. And so some there in that church there was committing sexual immorality. And that's not Israel. That's the Christian church. I guess that's probably not. Well, I guess you, yeah, that's that's apostasy because those were Jews that were doing that. Probably. Maybe that was not so clear. Revelation 2.20, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. All right. Well, those three verses—they might—that doesn't—that's not a slam dunk saying. That's the the sexual immorality of the Israelites. So I'm going to skip those. Let's go now to the last nine. The verse we're on now says they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality. So that's one example. Revelation 14:8. And another, a second angel followed, saying, "It has fallen, Babylon the Great has fallen." And that Babylon the Great is talking about Jerusalem. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality. Revelation 17:2 the kings of the earth, or the rulers of the land, committed sexual immorality with her. It's probably kings of the earth here because it's talking about all of the idolatry that was spread out of Israel to all the nations of the world. Those who live on the earth became drunk of the wine of her sexual immorality. That shows that Israel had become a land of demons and idolatry, and with her commerce with the world was spreading it around. Revelation 17.4, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet. This is the whore of Babylon, which stands for apostate Israel. She was adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Revelation 18.3, for all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. So all that trade that was going on with Israel was a symbol of also all the apostasy that had gone out from Israel. All over the ancient Roman world. Revelation 18.9 The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. <laughs> yes, sir. A lot of trade went down when Israel went up in AD 70. Revelation 19.2 because his judgments are true and righteous, because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality again—that's the whore of Babylon—he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. All the people that the apostate Judaism, that apostate Judaism, killed and murdered, was avenged. Revelation 21:8. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire. Now, of course, that's referring to everybody, not just apostate Jews, but they are included. Revelation 22:15. outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. All right, so what do we see by going through these 12 references to immorality in the book of Revelation? One is it's talking about either actual physical sexual immorality or perhaps spiritual apostasy either one or both. It refers to some of the stuff going on within the churches that had, to get, that had to be dealt with, and it also deals with apostate Israel within the nation itself committing sexual immorality, and that's probably more symbolic of spiritual apostasy spread all through the world. Not a pretty picture, folks, as we finish the sixth trumpet. Judgment is coming, Myriad of myriad of soldiers coming across the Euphrates. The Romans are coming to burn the city down. Leave it desolate. As Jesus said in Matthew 23, Your house shall be left desolate. It's coming. But first we have to examine Revelation 10 in our next audio. In Revelation 10, which is a short chapter of just 11 verses, we are going to get a prelude to the seventh trumpet, which is the seven chalices, the seven bowl judgments. We're going to get a prelude... We're going to look at the angel and the little scroll. Hope you stay tuned for that audio and I hope you enjoyed this one.